to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. In this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion, I'm joined by Nigel Krebin, Director in the Employment Team at DWF Law Firm, one of Britain's leading law firms. Nigel has a 30-year-long career in law, mainly focused in employment law, and he's gone through a few firms throughout the years and has reached partnership at practically all of them. It's nothing short of impressive, but it does take a lot of work. On today's episode of The Wellbeing Rebellion, I want to talk to Nigel about how workplace well-being has transformed the way that legal professionals are working today. How has the pandemic changed the expectations and behaviors of some of the hardest working professionals that we know? Let's get started. Welcome to the Wellbeing Rebellion, Nigel. How are you? I'm very well, Ngarsi. How are you? I'm all the better for having you here. I don't know how many people know this, but Nigel and I go way back now, as far back as like pre-pandemic. Yeah. I'm trying to think, 2017, 2018, maybe? Yeah, I think that was it. I think it was 2018. And so you are one of the oldest contacts. I shouldn't say oldest, should I? I should say longest serving contacts. <laughs> well, that in I my have. case, you'd probably be right on both scores. No, <laughs> shush you. You're just fishing for a compliment. Um, that I have since we started Aurora and it would be really interesting for the audience to know how we met and how you find yourself not just here on the Wellbeing Rebellion but in employment law and working in this kind of well-being arena ever so slightly. How I started in employment law I sort of fell into employment law really in that when I was um, training to be a solicitor I did you do various what we call seats. So you do a bit in the, in the corporate team. I did a bit in the real estate team. And uh, I did six months working in the litigation team at a, a firm in Manchester, a firm that now no longer exists, except it is the A of DLA. And ah. at the end of my, as I came to the end of my training, I wanted to qualify as a litigator. And I had a meeting with one of the partners and he said, we want to offer you a job. So that's great. He said, but it's not in the litigation team. I said, oh. He said, no, we're going to have a, a Manchester office employment team and we would like you to work with uh, the partner, partner whose name is Mary Clark, and we'd like you effectively to be her assistant. So I sort of fell into employment law, really. And that was back in, gosh, 95, I think. Okay. And for as long as I've been a empl- uh, solicitor, I've, employment law is, is what I've always done. So I, I sort of fell into it, really. Mm-hmm. But it was a fortuitous landing in that I really like the different aspects of it. You do a bit of litigation work, you do tribunal work, you advise people on day-to-day employment matters, you do corporate support work, so advising on the employment aspects of buying and selling businesses and things of that nature. And of course, central to the whole employment piece is that it involves people, human beings, and the diverse issues that that presents. And one thing that I have really noticed over the course of the many years I've now been doing it is an increasing emphasis on the sort of the human resources side of it. It's not just the the law side of it. And I think human resources advisors, 
business partners, managers, directors. They're sort of one side of a, of a sort of human resources coin. And then, of course, employment law is, a, is another side of it. So we work very closely with within our clients, with the HR people within those clients. And yeah, I do. I find it a very interesting area of law, both legally. It's quite technically challenging. It changes a lot. Uh, but I really like the sort of the human side of it as well, because that interests me. So things like what we're going to be talking about, you know, well-being, but other things like diversity and inclusion, allyship, all these sort of issues, they, they mm-hmm. really just interest me. So as I say, I fell into it, but it was a good landing. So is that where the well-being stuff comes in? Because you, I mean, we met when you were working with CIPD in Cumbria, and yeah, yeah, you were organising an event in which you, very luckily for me, asked us to come and speak. And you've you've maintained this kind of curiosity, interest, uh, involvement in the well-being side. Uh, of yeah, and, uh, again, that was a sort of serendipity. Is that the right word yeah, to it? Um, that I was a a partner in a firm in um, in Cumbria, and. One of the things that I worked with, particularly one of my colleagues at that firm on quite early on, was progressing the relationship between that firm and the CIPD. So I'd, I'd been on the committee of CIPD Manchester for a number of years before I moved to that firm in Cumbria. And so one of the things I did when I joined that firm was I said, thought, well, we need to look into strengthening the relationship or really reviving the relationship between that firm and, and CIPD. And the Cumbria branch of CIPD had a relatively new chair. Um, and uh, so my then colleague Anna, we met with uh, that new chair, Mel, Mel Kinsella, and uh, we talked about a number of things. And one of the things we talked about was working together on a joint event. And I think it was Mel who said that she wanted to do something with a well-being slant to it. And we talked about um, finding some speakers. And then through the uh, again through the CIPD network, I contacted one of my contacts from um, CIPD Manchester. Initially, contacted her to see if she'd be interested in speaking. She said, "Well, actually, I can't, but I know someone who'd be really great. I've met someone quite recently." And um, Talk about and serendipity. That, and that was you. And so it was through that that network that you and I spoke. I think we first met, didn't we? We had coffee at. One of the hotels in Manchester, Malmaison, as I seem to recall. It was, yeah. Um, and then it all went from there. And the new Anabay came up and did a couple of sessions as part of that well-being day um, that we ran in uh, in Cumbria. And then mm-hmm. and things have progressed from there. And you and I have stayed in touch. And I know you've stayed in touch with that firm. And and so it, again, it was a sort of you fortuitous landing. Well-being. Yeah. And and uh, and it was. A, I can remember that day very well. It was a really really interesting day. And it was uh, the whole well-being piece was it was increasingly a sort of a buzzword. It was a, it was something that was coming more mm. and more to the fore. There was a lot more talk about um, the importance of good mental health generally, but good mental health in the workplace. Not only from a the importance of that, not only from a legal perspective, but also it just makes good business sense. It's also the right thing to do to encourage your staff to be to be well and happy and to have mm. happy working lives. And so it was. It was something that was increasingly coming to the fore at, at at that time within employment law circles. And then, of course, not long after that, then the whole world changed in what March 2020, which was just about the time that I was moving on from that firm in Cumbria to the uh, the firm that I'm at now. So I moved back down to working um, all the time back down in Manchester. Joined the firm I'm at now, DWF, in in June. So joined them during. 
the pandemic, the which pandemic. is an interesting experience. Yeah. And so well-being has continued to be something that's high on the um, the list of important issues, not least because it was in, there were enormous new challenges that were presented during the course of the pandemic. And then, of course, post-pandemic, it's remained a very important important issue. So, so my interest in it is not just because I am just interested in it, but also it's it it is a the whole issue of of mental health and neurodiversity employ, important issues within the whole employment HR context and and the employment law context. So it's both mm. it's both a, it's both an interest in it just because it's interesting, but it's also a professional interest in it. Well, so that makes me think of the of the difference really between how the two firms you most recently worked at are approaching this workplace wellbeing thing. So, as you know, the legal sector back then when we first met didn't want a particular bar of any of this wellbeing talk. It was for their clients, but not for them particularly. And as Obi and I have many times commented, that is changing. The, the industry, the legal sector is recognising that They've got a, a human resources issue and they need to invest in supporting the mental welfare of their employees, their lawyers and their support staff, much more than they had been doing before. So the importance of well-being for lawyers has really risen in the last year or so. I wonder if you've noticed a difference between the approach in a smaller firm as compared to the approach in a big firm like the one that you're currently at have you seen a difference in the approach to how they handle well-being for their staff internally it's always difficult to compare two employers and 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 use them as sort of examples of well this is what big employers do and this is what smaller mm-hmm. employers do because i can only really compare those two particular firms and the firm i was at in cumbria there was a, a an importance placed on on well-being there um, and I know you've worked with that firm mm. subsequently and within DWF it's, it's a very very different firm um, yeah. in terms of size um, the, the kinds of transactions that we're uh, that we're working on and it so it's, it's very difficult to give them as sort of as 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 examples of of that's a big employer and that's a small employer I know that one thing that you, you're absolutely right is the the there is um, uh, a greater interest, I think, across the profession in workplace well-being. I know that, you know, I mentioned I've been practicing as an employment lawyer since 1995, and I think there is certainly a, a change in in approach. When I started off as an employment lawyer, there was a sort of school of thought. I'm not talking particularly about the firm that I worked at, but I, you know, obviously I was spending a lot of time with lawyers at other firms, and there was a sort of an approach really to training as a a lawyer in a corporate law firm at, at that time, which was that the people you were working for perhaps had, had found it very hard themselves when they were junior lawyers. And there was almost the sort of, well, it, it made me what I am. Mm. And therefore, I'm not saying people were intending to be difficult people to work for, but it was that there was a sort of sense of, well, I went through a bit of a baptism of fire and therefore, and it's made me successful. And therefore, if you're going through that now and having to to deal with those sort of things, well, hopefully it'll be the making of you as well. I think that that's not an approach that certainly at the firm I'm at, well, it certainly wasn't an approach at, at, at the firm I was at in Cumbria, but certainly not an approach that's prevalent at the firm I'm at now. I think 
law firms, I think, are more, they are more aware of the importance of the mental health of their staff. And also their staff, I think, will make them more aware of the importance of mental health. I think that we talk a lot about the fact that the whole sort of it's not even Generation X, is it? X, Y, Z, I forget the, mm-hmm. the, the letter, that people, if they're not happy, if they don't feel that they've, they've got a happy and productive working life, they will move on. And so there's an importance in helping your staff achieve a good balance between their work and their personal life and enabling people to have a better, better mental health because it will work for you as a business in a number of ways. It'll make them more productive because happy people are more productive people that that, that and also, you're more likely to retain, to attract people, retain people, if uh, you're treating them in, a, in a, a better way. Having said that, I'm not in any way saying this is a completed job. This is a work in progress. So I think the awareness, my perception is that the awareness within the legal profession of the importance of good mental health amongst your workforce is, is much better and higher than it was. Having said that, there is still, of course, work to do. The, the nature of law is that it can be very pressured. The work can be very demanding. And one of the things that now with lots of other employers, of course, that we are feeling our way into a, is that sort of new working life, that how that works. A lot of us now, we're working in this hybrid way. So we don't all work a DWF all the time at home anymore. We're spending some time in the office, some of the time at home. That can have huge benefits for us in terms of being able to organize your working day. You know, I, I like that that hybrid style of working. I like the fact that I can do a bit of work in the evening. And you know, I, I have that, that agility, um, not just in terms of geographic location, but in terms of how I can organize my working day. But then we need to be very aware that there are challenges that that presents as well. It's that when do you shut off? When do you, mm. if you if if you can always work, then there, there can be some people who will always work. And that's not, you know, that's not, the right way exactly it's not sustainable it's not it's not it's not good for you so yes there are, of course there are differences the firm i was at in cumbria uh, was a sizable firm within its geographic location but the firm i'm at now is a a, a much much bigger firm an international law firm yeah um and as i say we do different kinds of work the transactions that we're working on can be very different from some of the ones i was working on in 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 cumbria there are good points and bad points to that, but they. But uh, as I say, I think that there is a. My perception is that there is a greater awareness across the piece, not just smaller firms, bigger firms, but a greater awareness across the piece of okay. the importance of of good mental health. I think that one of the challenges that's always there for for law firms is because, of course, we make our money by the chargeable time that mm. we spend, the work that we do, and the challenge that will exist within law firms, and I'm sure with lots of other businesses as well, is that trying to find that balance between, because there's no, I mean, I know you've talked about this in your other podcasts, there's no quick, there's no quick fix. You're not going to suddenly transform mental health in the workplace in the course of a one hour webinar. And it's that, it's that balance between having to, I was going to say having to do the day job and then also do, but it is part of the day job, but it's, it's having to, that balance between the fee earning side of the work, the client servicing side of the work, and the um, spending time on things such as proper leadership, proper management, learning those skills, learning that that side of the of of the piece as well. So that yeah, 
Yeah. This is meant to be an interview on Garcia. I've just talked to you solidly. Typical lawyer. I've talked to you solidly. I'll be honest, (laughs) Nigel. I mean, it's been really interesting for me and has changed the direction that I'd like this pod to go because we are looking at wanting our law firms to, to do better by their employees. And talking to you there, it's made me think a, a couple of questions. For instance, what was the impetus for law as an as a industry waking up to the realisation that we can't expect our lawyers to just keep working like all they have to do is work? That was one, because all the statistics were always available. Other industries, tech, retail, they were starting to come around to this new way of working, this new expectation of work, a lot sooner than the legal firms that were representing them. So that's that's one question I had. And the other is, how much appetite is there genuinely in the industry, in this sector, for the change that's required to make mental health and well-being synonymous with working in a legal firm and in this in the same way that i said it's difficult for me to give to talk about the two firms that i've most recently worked at perhaps as 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 reliable examples of what a small firm and a big firm are like more more generally because i can only talk about the specifics of those two it's also there's a difficulty in me answering those questions in terms of giving a view you know i've not mm. done the research piece to say well statistically this is the you know, we've we've conducted a survey of X large law firms, and this is the answers that were given by their HR departments. So all I can say is there's a degree of this is my perception from what I see from the experience mm-hmm. that I've got. That what's the impetus? I think that there's bound to be an awareness that you can't just you can't work people into the ground and expect it to be a productive a long-term productive way of working. And if you want if you want your staff to stay with you, want to stay with you and build their careers, their working lives with you, then you're going to have to provide them with a rewarding working life and that doesn't just mean remuneration. It's not just the pounds in the bank account. Because if it's just that they'll just go elsewhere and Someone can always pay you more. Exactly. That's what I'm driving. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So there is, I'm sure, an awareness that law firms will not want to lose people. They spend a lot of money training people and they'll want to retain that talent that they've nurtured and helped develop. And so giving people a working life or giving, it's not you bestow upon them, but enabling people to have a working life Mm. that is happy and healthy is going to enable you to retain people. Mm-hmm. They'll work more productively, I think, as well, because you know it was always when I was when I started off as um, a lawyer in a corporate law firm. There was almost um, a sort of sense of it was a badge of honour that uh, you would work on transactions till ridiculous hours of the night. It was almost seen as you know yeah. that was that was an example of how good we were. Yeah, and. And I can remember a, a client saying to me when I was uh, not long qualified, and we were talking about that that style of, of working on corporate transactions. And I remember a client saying to me, "I don't really want my lawyers necessarily working at two, three in the morning because you're mm. not going to be, you know, your brain's not you working as well as it was. Exactly yeah. that. But it was seen as a sort of a badge, a, a badge of honour 
Mm. And it was almost this, I think there was almost an approach that junior lawyers were almost regarded as, as I don't want to use the word cannon fodder. It sounds like a horrible outdated expression now, but there was, but there was, there was, there was a sort of approach to that. And there'll be, yeah, there'll be a, there'll be a, you know, there'll be a wastage, but we'll, we'll really work and work and work these people. And I just get the perception. I have the perception now, certainly in the firm I'm at now that, that, That's that, that, that's not the case. We don't want to treat people like that. So I think there's, there is a, a, a business sense argument to it. Why train people? Why spend all that money nurturing that talent only to lose them? Mm. So there's that. I think there's all, there is also, I, I just you know, get the sense now, and I had it at the firm I was at in Cumbria, and I have it at the firm I'm at now, that there is a sense of doing the, of, of doing the right thing. Mm. Um, there are people in positions of, of influence who, who want to do the right thing who want to treat people in a, a good way. And, and that is refreshing. And as I say as well, it's not, just the sen- it's not just that if you work people till they're ill, then they will just leave and they won't be particularly productive prior to them leaving. I think also that there, there is a, there's a different approach amongst people at an earlier stage of their career now than there was when I started. When I started, you mm. sort of, there was this sense that you, just, you were almost grateful for the job and you'd put up with a lot because you felt, well, I'm lucky to be here. And also, this is the way I will progress. I have to put up with these things because that's what you do and that's how I will progress. Yeah. And I think people have, there is less of an approach like that now amongst my junior colleagues. But I do look back on some of the things that I saw happening and, and to a degree experienced at certain times of my career that people just wouldn't put up with now. And rightly so. So it's a, like a shift in power balance that's leading to a cultural shift within that industry, and um, well, I think I think from better. both I think both sides of the coin. I think there is a a shift in, as, as I say, it's not a finished article, but I think there is a, there is a <laughs> shift in the approach of people in positions of 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 influence, and also I think there is a shift in respect of those that they manage, those that they employ, as well as to what those people expect from their their working lives. But you know, I, I'm not creating this idea that that we now live in this this perfect legal utopia. Legal, le- exactly. That's the word <laughs> I was struggling to find. You know, it's a work in progress, but it's mm-hmm. better now than it was. So, as we're wrapping up this interview, that leads me to to ask you for your final reflection, which is because I know you're such a champion of people and of people being treated fairly what I would call a well-being rebel. What would you want to see law firms, other law firms, your law firm, adopting as a priority for workplace well-being for, the, for its employees? One thing that I would say as a profession, rather than this being particularly centred on you know, the firm that I work at now, sure. but I think that something that I'm very passionate about is increasing the increasing the diversity of the of the, of the profession. Um, I think that I just think that's it's not only the right thing to do, but I do think it makes for a better working space. Now you may say, well, I'm t- if I'm talking about diversity in terms of things like race, gender, neurodiversity, all of those things, I think. Mm-hmm. And I know we're talking here about well-being, particularly centered on the sort of on mental well-being, but I no, think but that- it counts. I, it I, I, I think it. it's all part of the same jigsaw. It is. It absolutely um, is part of that. 
and, and, and that is something that certainly within law is better now than it was, but there is still a lot of work mm-hmm. to do. For example, the the gender diversity or lack of it within certain areas of the profession that, that still it, law is a profession where gender diversity is very good at, mm-hmm. at the early stages of people's career. I think I'm, mm-hmm. I'm correct in saying that more women go into law now than, than men. And yet still, as you go higher up that that pyramid, we still Narrow lose and lose and lose. Funnel. Now, yeah. um, within the area of law that I work in, that is very often not the case. You know, if I look back on the people who have managed me over the course of my career, mm. most of them have been women in positions of, of, of influence. But that's not the case across, I think, employment law, um, you it's still the case you, you you get a greater gender diversity within employment law than you do perhaps mm-hmm. in certain other um, areas of law. Or that's less so than it, than, it, than it used to be. But there is still a lot of work to do in that diversity space with regards to um, race and ethnicity within law. That's There's a huge amount of work that still needs to oh, be done. So you read there. the 1% report, did you? Yeah. No, I can't say that I have read the 1% report and that's a failing on my part. Um, yes, I, I, it's I interesting. But it, it, it just by, you know, by my experience of the law, I look around and mm. I can see it. And, you know, why is that? Are we, are we, why are we not attracting people from a diverse, diverse background into the, into the profession? And whilst I'm not you know, equating, putting all protected characteristics, to use an expression from the Equality Act under one umbrella and saying yeah, it's all the same. Of course, there, there are all sorts of different issues and challenges and within different areas and, and what affects gender and sex is very different from what affects race and ethnicity is what effect, from what affects um, people with disabilities. There are all sorts of different challenges. But I think the, 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 the greater the diversity that exists within the profession, it, it can only be for, um, for the good because people bring different perspectives. And that's, and it's sort of, end, if, if we're coming to, <laughs> coming to the end of, of this, perhaps we sort of, we're ending it almost about in a sense, about where we began, yeah. because one of the things that I like about employment law is that is the human being, is the diversity, the fact that, and all the challenges that that presents, um, because it does present. You know, it's one of those things you never know when the phone rings what it's going to be about, and that can make it very challenging. It makes it very interesting as well, because you know, human beings are interesting. <laughs> but yeah, the the it, if if there was one thing that I think is is that as a profession we need really to be, well, one of the things that we need to be um, working hard at diversity is it. The other one is environmental, but that's Mm. a whole different topic. (laughs) Which we may come back to at some point. But Nigel, thank you so much for your time today. You are absolutely right. Human beings are interesting and you, sir, are one of the most interesting ones that we've had the privilege of having on this podcast. So thank you. And guys, yes. Very, very kind of you. I'm not sure it's true, but I'll take it. Well, you'll just have to take my word for it. So there you go. All right. Thank you so much, Nigel. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Wellbeing Rebellion. If you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues. Follow us on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show notes and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.